Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Danny LaRue is in the building. Danny and I are going to run through the 10 eliminated teams from the play-in and the NBA playoffs. We're going to give just like a little mini off-season preview, you know, five, six minutes for each team, and then... It's kind of going to be it. I had to reschedule some things this week in terms of the podcast. I had a couple of good guests to kind of come on, preview the playoffs, do things like that. But it just it kind of ended up falling apart a little bit. So Danny was kind enough to grace us with his presence uh, over the course of the last, what, 20 hours this came together. Danny, I really appreciate it, man. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing well. It's uh, It's Melbourne. So I'm like dealing with weird weather and dealing with like uh, constantly changing weather. One thing that has happened to me, I've realized over the course of the last eight years that I lived in L.A. before moving to Melbourne six months ago, I've gone soft. Like the weather in L.A. is so nice. Like maybe I wasn't ready in terms of like outfits and just like clothing apparel that I needed, but I'm constantly cold here in Melbourne now that it's like late fall kind of going into winter. And my wife and I said to go to the mall and do like a big shop to like change my wardrobe essentially because uh, I'm constantly living in a state of cold. And Danny, I grew up in Pittsburgh. Like I know know. what the fucking cold is. And I still am just at the point where I'm, I'm walking around like it's cold. It's, it's like I have forgotten my roots of hockey and snow and well, like so what's, what's funny about that is a lot of the people i know that grew up in cold and then moved to let's say california are actually the people who then become the most sensitive to cold like it's it's true my dad who grew up in montreal and numerous other people in my life it's like i don't know what that is but it's like once you get away from it you don't want to go back yeah no it's it, it's by far i love every single thing else about melbourne it, it's honestly just like the best place to live i can't emphasize enough how happy i am here but man the cold is it's been tough man i'm, I'm still struggling to adjust to it in, in like a very real tangible way i was wondering if that was going to be a segue into like the minnesota timberwolves or something but i'm not sure well we can so i mean we're, we're gonna segue into the top you know 10 here unfortunately the minnesota timberwolves have decided to go on a big winning streak under chris finch and with Anthony Edwards, and they're starting to win games. Uh, by the way, how do you feel about the rookie of the year race? Because I'm starting to, I'm starting to turn on that in a way that I did not anticipate. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if it actually is Anthony Edwards now. For me, you look at the whole season, and Lamelo Ball was a, you know, he didn't play for a period of time, but he was a positive player for his team the entire time. And yeah. there, for me, that like it's different than something like. Embiid versus Malcolm Brogdon or something like that, where one player was clearly better, just didn't play enough. It yeah, totally. I, 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 don't, I don't think of it as something similar to that. And with Edwards, I've had people, you know, I, I had Edwards on my, actually had him on my, the top of my second team. And part of the reason why is he was an actively negative player for the first half of the year. And I'm fo- totally fine with people who want to emphasize the second half. And of course, that's more relevant for his development. My criteria is I look at the whole thing. And yeah. part of it is, you know, like, the, the guys that I have above him that got the most scorn, let's call it, were Sadiq Bey and Isaiah Stewart. And I'm like, I don't want to knock those guys because they were more consistent than Edwards. And like, I'm not going to criticize people who feel differently about it, but that's just the way that I see it. So for me, Ball, Halliburton, quickly 
all of those guys helped their teams. Not all of them were on winning teams, of course, but they all helped their teams kind of throughout. And so I don't see it as an award of who I think is going to be the best pro. And Edwards has raised his stock in my eyes a lot. I see it as who had the best rookie year. But yeah. that's just my criteria. Yeah, no, I get it because I-, I felt the same way early on. Like I felt like Anthony Edwards was not a good player for the first 30 games of his career. Like He really struggled early on in the season like he was just not uh an efficient player he's still not like a crazy efficient player but he's getting there uh defensively he's still just like kind of a mess all over the place which is fine like you anticipate that from rookies i still think i'm leaning lamello because lamello played like an active part in like a winning situation for the entire year as opposed to Edwards who did it for uh, realistically 40 games because like LaMelo is going to play 50 games this year and Anthony Edwards is going to play pretty close to 72 if not uh, I think he might have missed like a game or two here and there Um, he might end up at 72 I I don't know what the exact number is I can't remember him being like significantly injured to miss even a couple games at any point this year Um, even if you look at it from the perspective of like Anthony Edwards by the time when would it be it would probably be like march realistically right like it was, it was prob- after the all-star break but not dramatically after if memory serves yeah like i think it was like mid-march so it would be after the all-star break he probably has like 30 to 35 really great games that he's played and, and those so i have the numbers now over his last 34 games anthony edwards has averaged 24 points six rebounds three assists 1.4 steals 45 percent from the field 35 percent from three on high volume like been honestly one of the top 25 scorers in the nba already uh maybe well, even i mean one one thing to push to push back a little bit on that is sco- top top 25 scorers on volume now he's been significantly more efficient than the beginning of the year but part right. of the reason why edwards has been one of the top 25 volume scorers is because he's taking a ton of shots and he's doing so at a better you know in a better way than he was before to be sure and playing with superior talent is helping that but you know how i feel about you know quote-unquote prime DeMar DeRozan and a lot of other things. And Edwards, I think, can be better than that. But I'm really skeptical of the the what I call the like the volume success, which is where the reason somebody got to these metrics was because they took a ton of shots. Like it's the same thing I got into I've gotten into stuff with Russell Westbrook supporters, which is so funny considering my history with Russ. But like to me, if if you get, you know, that many shots a game. But Edwards is playing a lot better, and that's let's, let's not put the cart before the horse. Like, I mean, he's been he's been very good. Uh but to me, LaMelo Yeah, like I also stronger on defense. Like that's one of yeah. the other interesting things. Like I thought LaMelo was going to be abysmal on defense, and he's been pretty decent. Yeah, the thing with LaMelo is that it was always effort. Like you would see him literally like wiping his shoes when he should be tagging a pick and roll. Like I literally I don't remember if I did a video of it or if I just like pointed it out on the podcast. Like I think I grabbed like seven instances of him literally just wiping his shoes in the NBL when he should have been tagging. He had the feel like there were real like high level feel reads that he made in the NBL defensively. It was just effort was not there. Um, I, I'm not surprised that he's a better defensive player than Anthony. Oh, I'm Edwards not. I'm not either. Just I yeah. mean, I didn't think he had the tools of like somebody like Ben Simmons, who was a terrible college defender. But oh yeah, tell. yeah, yeah. Like, but yeah. like that. But I, I thought I thought Lamelo would get there because he he's an intelligent player, and usually intelligent players figure at least some stuff out. But I didn't yeah. think as a rookie, like as a nineteen year old rookie, no, I didn't think he'd be even passable on defense. Yeah, 
But like, so like, let's say Anthony Edwards has played like 30 to 35 games of like positive play this year. I mean, LaMelo is probably it. I don't even know that I would include this little run uh, since he's been back. Cause I don't even think he's been all that great since he's been back. If we're going to be honest about it, like he's really struggling to shoot it. Um, you know, he's been a little bit better defensively, but he's been a lot more turnover prone. I feel since he's been back. Yeah. I think he's still working his way. I mean, the shot yeah, totally. doesn't, well, it doesn't always look there either. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, the, like the crux of what for me, it's not only the part like LaMelo had this stretch, you know, he played the first 41 games for them and was, was generally pretty good. Yeah. But also he doesn't have the other stretch where he was hurting them. Like that, that right. to me, that's, that's a different part. It's like, right. if you wanted to say that the two, the two positive halves are pretty close, I would rather have, a missing half than a negative one personally and and other people can have different opinions and that's totally fine yeah yeah well i was gonna say like even so like Lamelo's like 41 game stretch is longer than anthony edwards's positive stretch yep from this Agreed. season so like you know it, I, I think that i'm leaning Lamelo still but anthony edwards has made like a real case here and i think it's like genuinely at the point now where if people vote anthony edwards i'm not going to be like blown away like before i was going to be like that's a bad vote but i'm now at the point where Okay, we, I understand this now. Um, let's move on, though. Let's talk about what we want to talk about today. So we're going to dive into Houston, Detroit, Oklahoma City, Cleveland, Orlando, Minnesota, Toronto, Chicago, New Orleans, and Sacramento. We're going to do quick off-season previews uh, for each of these teams as they head into... Uh, in some cases, what is an incredibly important offseason? In other cases, uh, just kind of a continue to grow and develop offseason. Let's start with Houston before we take a quick commercial break. So I think Houston is just like fascinating for a number of reasons. Uh, the key items I have here for Houston, they have to keep their top pick, uh, which is a 52% chance. I, I mean, can you remember a situation where a team this desperately needed to keep its pick like is it the golden state well, warriors like harrison barnes pick harrison barnes is there and i would argue the lakers keeping their pick which led to the anthony davis trade like that yeah. was if if they if they don't keep that pick i'm not sure they have enough assets yeah i think that you're probably right on that like unless the pelicans just like really liked kyle kuzma or some shit and by the way, like it really helped the Lakers too to be able to keep Kyle Kuzma because he's because he's been really valuable and a key cog for them like over the course of the last year and a half. It, just in yeah. terms of being able to, you know, put well, out and, different lineups, right? So the, the other thing for Houston um with the pick is that it's going to take them a while to bounce back around. So like it isn't it isn't like this is the final piece to get it. It might it probably pushes back their rebuild if they lose the pick. Yeah, that that's the thing for me. Years. Yeah. Um but the other challenge for Houston, I've been trying to like, you know, this will come out in writing and other stuff at some point, is that it's going to take them a while, not only because of the, they're they're coming at this from a talent deficit, even though they've had some young guys that I've, I've appreciated on their team, but because they have a lot of money on their books. John Wall is making $44 million next year, 47 or sorry, yeah, 47 the year after. Eric Gordon has two guaranteed years. So probably, you know, if Houston keeps their pick, they're not looking like a cap space team. And I think for the public comments from Tillman Fertitta, it sounds like he's kind of on board with a with a slower rebuild. Yeah. And I think that's, in, in many ways, I think that's better. Because one of the things you and I have talked about this before is teams that rush it. And, you know, like, okay, we're, you know, maybe there was some glimmer positive, not that there really was that for the Rockets this year, other than some of the young guys doing well, but in terms of record, there wasn't. Uh, and so I think that as long as Rafael Stone has the latitude to, you know, make this a three-year thing. Like, I think that's probably what it's going to be. And then at that point, they'll have the bad money off their books. 
and hopefully they will have one or two players that can be the best or second best player on a very good team. Yeah. Then you're starting to cook with gas. The thing with that though is that like this is the year that you need to start that because like if you're if you're on a three year process, you want the guy to be in his third year by the time that money comes off the books so that you have like an attractive free agency situation. So because yeah. Houston theoretically could be an attractive market for people to play in. So I think they desperately need to keep this pick. Like they do, especially because there's no there's no guarantee that you're gonna get. You know, they're going to get a great pick any year now with a lot of reform. And yep. the other big domino to talk about with the Rockets that I think is so fascinating is, and a lot of this is things that we don't know, but I would have, as Rafael Stone, a conversation with Christian Wood and say, yeah. hey, man, what do you want? We're going to be bad the next couple of years. Like, that is just what that is just what we're going to be. Yep. And if you want to be here, we'll have you. You just signed here, all that. But if you want to go, we'll send you. We'll like we'll we'll trade you. And that's not to clear the cap space. It's to get an asset and to put him in a good yeah. situation. This will come up maybe a little bit later with Jeremy Grant. And so yep. the the emotional intelligence part of this is extremely important because the dude just signed with you, and you you don't want to send him away if he wants to be there. Yep. At least not at this point. But if he wants to be gone, there's not really any reason to keep him when you consider how long this is going to take. And that would, A, he only has a couple of years under contract, and he's going to be unrestricted after that. And also, Christian Wood, you know, he's turning 25, sorry, 26 pretty soon. He's 25 yep. right now. So if you're saying it's going to be three years until you're there, then you're probably getting into maybe towards the end of our post-prime Christian Wood and probably want somebody a little bit younger. So it does, it kind of, it makes sense for well, everybody if that's what he wants. And if it's not, then you wait a little bit. Well, the best time to trade Christian Wood is right now when he has two years Agreed. left on a deal that is very eminently reasonable for him. Right. Um, the other part of this is too like the thing that they need to do above all is like build a culture on some level. And I think Steven Silas is like trying to do that right now. But it's hard to build a culture when you have guys that aren't going to be around on like the actual contender. Right. Like you're building a culture so that people when they enter they know what it is but you're not really building a culture so that the guys that are already there in all likelihood are going to like be a part of it like jay sean tate i think might be a part of it you can make case for me that kevin porter is part of it i I don't know what kevin porter is going to look like in the future uh there's been a lot of impressive flashes this year there there have been really problematic things that have happened this year with kevin porter uh such as getting suspended for going to a strip club Uh, i know that he stuck up for his teammate and everything and that's great but like also broke covid protocol so i i don't know what the kevin porter experience at 20 years old when he's averaging 17 points and six assists a game is going to look like in three years you could tell me that he is a legitimate all-star player you could tell me that something else happens and he totally craters his value around the league. Like, I, I just don't know what's going to happen with him. Um, Jay Sean Tate but, looks like a keeper. I think Jay Sean Tate looks like a keeper, but he could also be in a similar situation to Christian Wood because they're almost exactly the same age. Tate, yep. you know, wonderful, wonderful success turns 26 right around the start of next season and is on an exceedingly team friendly contract has, you know, so he's two more non-guaranteed years, and then a, and then restricted, and it's one of the real downsides of coming into the NBA when you're a little bit older. And well, so I, I would and have- like I think that this is where the idea of like building a culture comes up because you have to decide what you want to be 
as a team. Yes. Right. Like Christian Wood, for as good as Christian Wood is and as talented as Christian Wood is, has real deficiencies. Like he's not a very good defender. If Steven Silas and Rafael Stone and all of the great people who work in that front office decide we want to build a defensive team, we want to build a, um, you know, a team that is built around our guard play as opposed to our interior presence. Like, again, like that provides real ammunition to decide, hey, we think that moving Christian Wood is a better plan. Also, they have to make a decision on Eric Gordon. Like, they have to at least figure out well, like, what his market I think with is. Eric, I think with Eric Gordon, they're going to have to, it's going to be a decision made by other teams because Gordon at about 19 million a year for two more guaranteed years and then non guaranteed. Like, I think that might be too much for a lot of teams to bear. But the important consideration there is if you're willing to take on kind of matching salary, I mean, Gordon, I still think he can help a good team. And yeah, I do too. The, the, the challenge is just does, is there a good team that could use Gordon that has about that kind of money laying around? And well, I don't, do, do you need to match it? Because there are a lot of teams with cap space this summer. I th- the- I think you do because of Gordon's age and injury history. Like I don't think that somebody's just going to be like, oh yeah, we're going to do that. I think they would. You know, teams teams get very enamored with the free agents that are around, and and the, you can have these negotiations, and you can get everything there. Now, also, like it, it's a possibility, but I think that some of the team, like the good teams that have space, are going to look in other directions, like the Heat. Yeah, like if you're. Like Miami's an interesting one because if you're Miami, do you think there's a world where you see Eric Gordon and just go, okay, he's on a two-year, thirty-eight million dollar contract or whatever? Um, that can be our free agency signing this year, like something like that. Like I, I don't love that. Like don't get me wrong. Like it would definitely be a last resort for Miami, but I'm just like trying to think of like possibilities here. At the end of the day, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think I think it's a challenge, I th- and and it could be something that materializes at the trade deadline if he's looking good and everything else and teams have a better sense of not only where they are but what they need like yeah. I, I don't know that he's going to be long for the Rockets but I think it might be longer than this offseason yeah and then the the last thing here is just like figuring out what to do with Kelly Olenek um, Kelly Olenek has been ridiculous and like unbelievable obviously like career best form for Kelly Olenek since he's been in Houston uh, has really upped his value on the free agency market Houston should absolutely not keep him but yeah, I, I wonder if there are some interesting sign and trade opportunities to get Kelly to a place that he really wants to go that could be explored. Yeah, what you look for in these circumstances to come up with other teams is you're not going to get much as a facilitator, especially in a circumstance where you don't have match rights. Like, so you can't wield that and say, hey, we're just going to keep the dude. But there are maybe some openings that are there. And that also gets into the question of what does Houston want to do in terms of taking something back? Because, you know, they're matching salary or something else. And, and considering they don't have flexibility, you know, they don't, they can't, they're probably not going to have cap space. I think that's a worthwhile option, but a Linux going to need to want to go to one of those type of teams. And that's possible, well, possible, and, but not definite. And the other option for them too, is like giving him massive balloon payment. They could. Um, but I think the challenge with a balloon payment is that then it becomes hard to get value yeah. in a in a subsequent trade. So yeah. you know, I, I I'm a little bit it, it's worth, you know, floating and can, kind of considering it, but I'm guessing that's not gonna happen. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that what ends up happening is he just ends up signing elsewhere, but there are a few different things that they have to navigate. Okay, let's take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back with the last nine teams.
Okay, and we are back. We're going to move to Detroit now. Uh, Detroit, it's really just like kind of continuing along the status quo. And this is where they they are essentially, they were last year where Houston is right now. They've done a really good job, I think, of building an organizational culture and getting out the guys that they needed to get out. And now they have like a pretty interesting core. They drafted really well with Sadiq Bey and Isaiah Stewart last year. Uh, they made an incredible signing with Jeremy Grant. I mean, th- that deal got pilloried and it ended up being the right move. Uh, I'm, in, I'm intrigued by where Detroit is going at this point. And I kind of think that their move is just continuing to build the right culture, hope that they hit on a draft pick and find their next franchise centerpiece, right? Can we just copy paste the conversation we had about the Rockets with Christian Wood and the, the Pistons with Jeremy Grant. I well, mean, there there is a direct parallel there in that the player yeah. is, you know, we don't know if they're long for that ride. If they are, more power to him. I mean, Jeremy Trey Weaver signed Jeremy Grant, Jeremy Grant went there and and went there because he wanted the bigger role, too. Exactly. And so if he wants that, if he continues to want that, great. You know yep. that then then you can work with that, and if things change, let you know. If not, like the, it would be such an amazing win for Troy Weaver if, let's say, Jeremy Grant's like, this is what I thought I wanted, and it's a great, it's been a great time. But let's say I don't know Boston or somebody else comes calling, and you guys can get a first round pick for me as well. Like, I mean, if he wants that, then then I think you consider it. But if he doesn't, then you keep him around. And the other cha- the par- kind of parallel between the Pistons and the Rockets is that both teams will have some flexibility in the future, but they don't really have it right now. Uh, the yeah. Pistons, by virtue of how they handled the Blake Griffin thing, and not that I, I mean, I do disagree with it, but a little bit, they have $32 million roughly in dead money, meaning money they're paying to players that are not on the roster, money that you can't, it's actually $34 million that they can't do anything with, that, that's, you know, what it, the way it works. For the 21-22 season, and then most of that wipes off entirely for 22-23. So they could ru- the rough numbers on it is they could the Pistons, depending on where their draft pick ends up, have about 15 million in cap space, or they could stay over and retain Dennis Smith and do some of the other stuff. Maybe they would do something with Corey Joseph or Rodney Magruder. I think they'll just let those guys go. Well, I think the one thing they will do is probably give Frank Jackson some money. Yes. Yeah, and they could do that in a couple of different ways, um, yeah. depending on depending on how much they want to give him and everything else. So I think this ends up being kind of a holding pattern year for Weaver, especially when you consider unless unless Grant wants to go, and then right. then that could open up a bunch of different things. But what makes it a little bit different for the Pistons, and I'm, I'm interested to see how it works out for them, is that they drafted well and they drafted guys that are going to take a little while, but like, what does Troy Weaver see as their timeline? Like, I think what's pretty clear with the with the Rockets because of how yo- how bad they were this year and how young they are, that it's going to take a while. And with Detroit, I'm guessing Weaver says, yeah, I can do another year of this, see where things go, and then, yep. then we'll have money. We could go fight. We could, we can work at it then. You know, even guys like Diallo, who's been in the league a little while, a little while he's going to be restricted. Like, he's still young, still 22. So yeah. I think, I think they're going to just chill it another year but also that's not what we saw from Troy Weaver last year so who knows yeah with Jeremy Grant I mean we think he's getting multiple first round picks of value if he decides that he wants to go and Weaver yeah I would say it's probably like so I I wonder because he's making so much more money than Robert Covington like I think Grant is a is a better player and I think you know we've, we've already seen what he can be on a good team but he's also making about eight million more a year so the Covington package was two first-round picks that were kind of not great, you know, not premium picks. I'd say that's a fair proxy, but it could also be 
one and a play a player who's already on a roster who's interesting. Like I could see that as a possibility as well. But that's that's kind of the rough area that you're looking at. I would say if if you're if as Troy Weaver, if you're going to make a Jeremy Grant trade, I mean the the place that I would really like him is Dallas. Uh, if Dallas kind of decides to absolutely, go the trade yeah, I route. mean, like that—that's the spot for me. Like, if sure, I'm on board with that. Yeah, like I, I think that that would be phenomenal. I would give up a lot of value if I was. They—they they don't have a ton of it to give up, but right, Jeremy Grant would be a would be a logical fit for a little bit older than the guys that they the guys they have, but that's okay. I think you don't need to have yeah. everybody be the same age. Uh, and speaking of everyone being the same age, how much would you pay Hamadou Diallo? Because I feel like that is going to be a interesting negotiation given the per minute production while also kind of a real flawed player i mean there there are concerns here he's not a great shooter uh but he is an incredible energy player he's ridiculously athletic he gets out in transition like there's a weird he's a weird evaluation in terms of trying to figure out where he lands in terms of contract Diallo is and i'm thinking more in the kind of like i'm thinking like tax pyramid level five six million if you could pull it and if he gets more i would sweat about it a little bit but the problem is what is hamadou Diallo on a good team and i don't i'm not quite there on his shooting i think that he he's interesting with the ball in the sands which is a huge improvement off of where he was going back to what you and i saw him in high school and everything else but the idea that he's like, is he going to be, you scale, you scale down his usage and maybe he can hit some open shots. Is it transition, transition difference maker, defensive player? Like, I think the more likely outcome for Diallo is that he is a, he's a useful bench player on a good team and could be more than that on a bad team. Yeah. But those are, those are the types of players that sometimes get overpaid and overcommitted to when they, like, I mean, Diallo has the physical upside, but does he have the depth of his game? To get to it, uh, to get to be better than that, to prove me wrong, and I hope so. I I, yeah. I enjoy watching him play, but I'm still a little skeptical. I think I would give him something like nine million a year. Just kind of looking at realistically where the market is going to be, like I would be comfortable matching that nine to ten, if only because I mean, just look at what Derek Jones got last year, right? And it's it's going to be hard, I think, to keep Diallo beneath the Derek Jones level of money. Well, the, the challenge, I, I mean, I just don't trust Diallo's defense enough. Like, I, I think that yeah. you could argue that Diallo has more offensive upside, and I, I would. I mean, especially given what's happened this year, but. I mean, he he hasn't translated it defensively enough for me yet. It's it it could be there. It could be. I just haven't seen it yet. Uh, let's go to Oklahoma City. Uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder are again in just like a total rebuild right now. They are going to take their draft picks, use them, and that's kind of where this thing's going, right? Well, so <laughs> they have the, one decision point- to make, really. I think. Well, the other big decision that OKC needs to make, um, and this I don't think it's going to be this year, but it might be, is generally speaking, draft picks that are owed to you by other teams, the peak in their value is actually before, like about a year before it actually yeah. conveys. Like we've seen that with the Kyrie Irving deal, where that that pick that Cleveland got and that and the Nets pick and that one and numerous other things. And so, the question that I have for Sam Presti is: you have this ammunition. When, if ever, do you use that to improve certain things? So whether that's move up in a draft or get a player who's already picked or something else like that, because you don't want to make this many picks and 
you also want to make sure so like yeah if you need to throw an extra you know probably not a, non, a, a premium one but if you want to throw an extra first round pick because you have somebody that you really like and they're you think they're not going to be there like all, i'm all for it like if, if that's your evaluation if you think that guy's special that could come in 21 that could come in 22 that could come in 23 but that's the the other big domino is and that's especially true if the rockets pick conveys if they get the rockets pick then maybe they like somebody at three and they they give a team that doesn't have a stronger preference a boatload to go from three to five or from five to three. Well, yeah, yeah. from three to five in their perspective. Maybe that happens this year. I think that's more of a next year thing. Yeah, I agree with that, especially if the Rockets pick conveys and they can get, well, I mean, like they're, <laughs> I mean, there's a world where they end up at like n- number one and number five. Right, they they could end up leaving this draft with like Cade Cunningham and like Jalen Green if they played their cards right. Like you could move, say that Cleveland gets number three, you move number five, you know, three of these future firsts, and you get Jalen Green and Cade Cunningham to mix with uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander and uh, Darius Baisley and Lou Dort and whatever the fuck Alexei Pokashevsky is. Like that's a fascinating roster, and that is like immediately one of the most interesting young teams that we've seen in the NBA in a long time, in my opinion. And also, like, I don't think this is probably the time for a Horford deal. I think the sticker yeah. shock of $27 million is still going to scare some people off. Sure, you listen. You, you have those conversations. And before he got hurt, he had, a, I would say, to an extent, a bounce-back year. But the other big question for OKC is, is do they want to cash in some of their cap space chips now? Because the, the Thunder especially after this coming season, Horford's only partially guaranteed. They're, they don't have any bad money on their books. Yeah. They're going to have to pay Shea, but they, but they, I mean, we think that's not bad money. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So when do they want to do something there? And so maybe the, one of the ways Presty handles this, and this is what I would advise is try to see if there's any value on the restricted market. You know, maybe it's somebody like yep. Josh Hart or somebody else, but if, there isn't the right person. You can the heat. Everybody knows to call him as a facilitator. So you do you go that route, and so I, you're making a couple of value judgments at the same time. But I would not be stunned to see them go after one or two players that they think make sense with where this team is going, and because they have so much to spend, that it would the opportunity cost wouldn't be that high. There's no way that they chase Lowry Markinen, right? Because that's that's the so. one that's like it seems like could be gettable. Is a I think that there, there, there might be, if his number goes down enough, but I also don't think, I think they got Pokushevsky as a better lottery ticket yeah. of that concept. Yeah, like, I, I don't think you, 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 you want to, you don't want to throw too many eggs in the basket of front court player who can't play center. Yeah, I agree. And like, that is a, that's part of why I was lower on marketing in the first place. And you can have, a, and, and so if marketing is getting, let's say fair market value, not worth it. If he's getting well below and just wants an opportunity, sure, they have playing time to offer. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, yeah, the Horford also, thing. Well, like, also, we could factor in the conversation we had about with Jeremy Grant and all that. I don't think Lou Dort is in the same boat, but he's in a similar boat. So because like Dort, good player, a little bit younger, but you know what he's going to get paid at some point pretty soon. What does he want? Yeah, I, I think that you play the string along with Dort for one more year. Um, I'm I'm totally fine with that, yeah. but I think you listen. Like, if somebody's going to give you a crazy offer, I mean, he could help. He could help so many teams. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, but I I mean, that requires his shooting to be real, and his shooting kind of fell off a cliff late in the year. Yeah. 
So. Well, if I mean, if all it takes is one or two teams believing that it's real, and then you're yeah, getting true. offers like it is. That's a good point. Um, the Horford thing is just like if you can find a deal, do it. If you can't, then kind of keep them and play the string out. Um, let's go to Cleveland. Cleveland is a bit more complicated because they have two very like real decisions to make this summer uh the the first one for me is jared allen and what you do with this jared allen contract uh i I have real concerns that they're going to give him way too much money oh yeah i mean wouldn't be the first time kobe altman's given a front court player a lot of money and allen it's possible that he's a little bit out of sight out of mind not only because he's on a less competitive team now, but because he missed so much time towards the end of the year with a concussion. Yeah. And so I don't know if there is a team with that's going to come with a big offer sheet. Maybe the Hornets do. There are a couple others that are interesting. I like Jared Allen, but you and I have talked about it in various different forms, written, audio, that non-premium centers, like that group of guys who your best lineups might not be having them on the floor, like right. closing fives. And what do we think Jared Allen's upside is in this regard? Like, 10th best center in the league like it it, is absolute ceiling right absolute ceiling is probably like yeah maybe like eighth yeah and don't pay those guys like just just don't do it and so that is a real concern for the Cavs. and also i mean like i I did a piece with kelsey russo a little while ago where i kind of got into this is like cleveland has this weird challenge where the timing of their contracts is really challenging because love is on the books and when he comes off Sexton will already be on his new deal, and Garland is going to get his raise then. So they might be going, depending on who Kobe Altman wants to retain, they might be going another three to four years before they have cap space. And who knows, if those guys get real money, it might even be longer than that. Well, and And, in that vein, you bring up the Sexton thing, and I think this is the summer where they have to make their call on Colin. Like, they have to decide, is this guy the guy we want to build around? Or are we going to build around Darius Garland going forward? Um, are we go? They have to either extend Colin Sexton this summer, or they have to trade him. I think. Like I, I don't really. I agree. I think. I think. See a, see a the, middle the ground. Third, the third year off season, teams don't make this decision too often, and I think that's a huge mistake. I agree. Um, because they have more value. The you're trading them to a team that really wants them, and I'm. More positive on Sexton than I was, but I still wonder what his role is on a good team. Like, he can score, but yep. I don't know that he's good enough as the initiator to be that guy on a really good team. Well, I don't know that he's their best initiator on this team. Oh, I don't, I don't either. I don't think he is, and, to be honest. Like, <laughs> And so, Sexton, let's say he is a different iteration of Jordan Clarkson, but he has the potential to be better. Sexton's only 22. Those type of players get overpaid a lot. Yeah. especially when you think they might be a starter. And Sexton has improved dramatically, and, and that that is important to consider. But he's not an intuitive passer. He's a scorer, but he's not like an insanely efficient one. I mean, he's roughly around league average this year. And he, he's gotten a whole hell of a lot better. Like, that is an important thing to consider. So I'm not writing him off in any way, shape, or form. But if I had to hitch my wagon to one player for the next five years, I would go with Garland over Sexton. I would too. Like, I actually think Colin is really good. I think Colin Sexton is a very good basketball player. He can get a bucket in a way that very, very, very few NBA players can. Like, he is averaging 24.4 points per game on a 57 true shooting percentage at 22 years old. He is. But, but here, but here's the thing. Five years from now, let's play it out. Do you think, I'm not saying he will be, but do you think that 
you would be comfortable starting him, set it and forget it, 32 minutes a game on a on a team that's competing for a championship? In the right situation, yes. Not in this situation, if you're keeping Darius Garland. I think a team... But so so what, is that, what is that role that he's playing, though? Well, uh, let's say offensively. Like, so what, if, what you're, is on that if you're Oklahoma City and you get Cade Cunningham, like that... And, you know, obviously, Shea Gilgis-Alexander's there. Like, whatever team gets Cade Cunningham, let's say it's Houston, because Houston basically has an empty roster, right? Houston gets Cade Cunningham. I actually think Colin Sexton is a fascinating fit with Cade Cunningham. Is like, so, so you, but, but so you, to articulate it, you're saying, like, secondary ball handler, scorer, who can take over a little bit more if he's hot? Is that the idea? Yeah, like, guy who can share the load as a lead guard, but you want the other guy to have the ball in his hands more in late-game situations that really matter. So the other, the other, I think it's an interesting idea, and in the circumstance, sort of like I've made the parallel with D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns, like you're putting the secondary player in a good position to succeed, but you know Cade far better than I at this point. Yeah. But to me, you have a big guy who can handle the ball, can go with somebody who's bigger and maybe go to a switching system. Like you can, the beauty of Cade Cunningham is that you can put a lot of things around him. I don't think right. you necessarily need to commit to Sexton to be that guy. No, I agree with you. I, I think that that's not like an unfair sentiment at all. Uh, like Miami would be interesting to me. Like if they decide that they'd rather have someone like Colin Sexton than Kendrick Nunn, uh, playing him next to Jimmy Butler is a fascinating one well, to me the, because the I other, think that they're really good at insulating defensive problems. The other really interesting one here, and this is I, I made an argument for a similar reason for. Spencer Dinwiddie to, for for a team to trade for him, which is a a very wealthy team, meaning the owner is willing to spend, right. who doesn't care at all about Sexton becoming a lot more expensive. So, like, let's say, I mean, the easiest ones to throw here are the Clippers and the Lakers. Like, right. let's say one of them, it's like, okay, Sexton's going to make twenty million after this, twenty five million. Steve Ballmer says, whatever, I don't care. It's a good player. We can we can do all this stuff. Then that is the type of the type of move that teams who have the you know, the big bank take little bank pro- advantage yeah. should do. I'm trying to think of like another like player fit situation that really makes sense. Um, honestly, like Boston next to both Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Like, I think it'd be kind of like what they wanted to do with Kemba Walker. Like, I think that that actually yeah, would make some sense. Um, like, I think that there are real places that should value Colin Sexton highly is kind of my point. I just don't know that it's Cleveland because, again, I don't think a Darius Garland, Colin Sexton defensive core in the backcourt has any chance to defend come playoff time when teams are just hunting mismatches constantly. You can't have two guys out there that are – and Colin has worked a lot on his body. He's gotten a lot stronger. Like, he's no longer just, like, getting blown through at the point of attack anymore. He's still not a good defender, but, like, he's not, like, just getting demolished anymore. Um it's just hard to make those guys work. Guys that are six foot one, six foot two, and having multiple of them out on the court. And plus, they would likely have multiple like big guys out on the court with Jared Allen. If you're going to pay Jared Allen, like to me, this is a summer for Cleveland where you can actually get value moving your guys and kind of resetting your timeline a little bit. Yeah, they also should move Larry Nance. I mean, Larry Nance has improved so dramatically, and he's too old for where this team is going. So the Larry Nance thing is interesting because it seems like Larry Nance really wants to be in Cleveland, right? Uh, Larry Nance is also, I don't know, like you might be able to make a case to me that that's like one of the best, if not the best value, like non-star contracts in the NBA. 
Um, yeah, like we t- we made the comparison before about talking about Robert Covington and Larry Nance has improved so much defensively and he's also grown offensively that you worry about injuries more with him than you did with Covington. But I mean, you could see that type of thing. And for Cleveland, but the money's so much cheaper. Like it is, he's going to be making nine point six million dollars in twenty twenty two twenty three when the cap when the hopefully cap goes up again. Like yeah, and. And Nance, I mean, he's 28 now. He'll turn 29 during next season, and he has, you know, he's missed he's missed time at various moments in time. But he could help a lot of teams. And I, I it, I've heard the same kind of things that he's happy in Cleveland. But I think he'd be pretty happy on a really good team too. Yeah, I, the Larry Nance conversation is hard because I, I think Larry Nance is really good, um, and he's the kind of guy that I think you want to have around these young players like larry nance at nine million dollars in 20 in the summer of 2022 for the 2023 playoffs like that guy's still bringing back a first round pick i think like almost unquestionably because everyone is going to be able to get in the bidding war for him so yeah you might be able to get like a first round pick plus real value i don't know if he'd bring back two first round picks right now i think you might get two he might like he's really good well and then there's the other big part of this that he fits within the remainder of the hayward exception yeah he does he fits within the remainder of the hayward exception so boston could really get involved um like i think denver is like a perfect fit for him like god if you put him next to nikola Jokic, like that's well denver denver also um I, I did a podcast with Adam Modest this week, and the idea of basically like what what what's going to happen with Aaron Gordon when you consider the money, the other money on the books. That's the same year that Michael Porter Jr. is going to get his raise. Jamal Murray, New York already making over thirty million. Right. So if you think Aaron Gordon is going to leave, whether it's in the same contract because Gordon doesn't have as much value to the Cavs as he does to somebody else, but if you can do something where you get Larry Nance yeah. to kind of replace Aaron Gordon before you need to replace Aaron Gordon, yeah. That's interesting. kind of the right move, I think, to be honest. Um, yeah, this is just a summer where I think Cleveland can kind of reset what they're doing. Um, because you're well, right. Cle- like, the way that the money is set up, they're in a really tough spot to actually improve unless they just hit their draft picks. Like, that's their only real option if they decide to pay and, both and Jared Allen and Colin picks, Sexton. Even if they hit on their picks, it's going to take time. Like, yeah. That's the other important thing to remember here. That's like why I've said it's going to be if it's going to be some years for the Rockets is because young players typically don't start out very good, and it's going to take them some time to figure it out. Especially if you need young guards, which is more relevant for the Rockets than it is for the Cavs. But I mean, we're seeing it with the Cavs right now. Yeah. So with it's funny. Like I like all of these players on this roster. They just don't fit together at all. And this is like the flaw of Kobe Altman, in my opinion, even beyond like, like people are angry about the Isaac Okoro pick. Like, I think Isaac Okoro is going to be fine at some point. Um, th- these players, well, no, the, 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 the fatal flaw of fit. Kobe Altman is just that he, he overpaid for players they didn't need and to. He and he overpays for reason. bigs and like continues to bring them in, like with the Andre Drummond deal that he like mercifully decided to get rid of. Like, well, or like, I mean, the Kevin Love, the Kevin Love situation where LeBron uh, had already left. Yeah. I will say, I don't know if I'm willing to like lay that at Kobe Altman's feet. Like that might have been. No, no, a- that's it's an ownership decision. Yeah, I mean, any any extension that big is an ownership decision. But I mean, the general manager's part of their job is to say, "Hey, this is this no, <laughs> you know, like, right, that's yeah. sort of that's sort because of, if they if if Kevin Love had either if they had let him walk like he because he had another year under contract if they had either traded him or waited waited things out then all of this other math kind of makes sense. Yeah. 
and um, Love, by virtue of his injuries and everything else, like he's negative value. It's it's very difficult. Also, the other way that it's Altman's fault is if they could have gotten positive value for Love at any point in the last two years, which there's some rumors that they could have. That was a mistake. Okay, let's um let's go to Orlando. Orlando's is not like wildly complicated. It's get guys healthy and hit on your draft pick. Hit on your draft picks because they're going to have two in the top yeah. ten. Um, in all likelihood, at least it's hit on your draft picks and hope that Markel Fultz and Jonathan Isaac kind of get healthy and th- they have to figure they have some decisions like they have to figure out what their backcourt looks like. Like, do they like Markel Fultz, RJ Hampton and Cole Anthony enough to where they think that those guys are the point guards of the future and thus we should not draft Jalen Suggs or like Jalen Green or something like that. Right. Um they have to figure out, like, what do we do with the Mo Bamba-Wendell Carter deal? Because Mo Bamba is going to be making a lot of money this upcoming season, right? Well, and both and both those guys are extension eligible. Both of them will be restricted free agents in 22, absent an extension. So I, I wouldn't be stunned if the front office sees next year as an evaluation year. So maybe hold a little bit more firm unless somebody makes a very tasty offer for something that you have. Like, they want to see where Isaac is. They want to see where Fultz is. And Bamba and Carter, I think they want want to go there. Now, if somebody thinks Bamba is going to be their starter of the future and makes you an offer commensurate with that, yeah. But I, I'm thinking, I'm thinking hold about it. And, and you know, you and I have, have had this conversation before, but for Orlando, when you consider where they are and where they want to go, best prospect available, I don't care what position they play. I don't care if it meshes with what you have. That's the right way to play this. Okay. Um, any is there anything else that you find interesting here with Orlando? Because like honestly, like I, I just don't. I mean, like I, it's find, not. Can they find a taker for Terrence Ross? Yeah. And, you know, can they can they kind of restructure a couple of small things? Um, Michael Carter Williams. You know, so like, is there something there? What do they, and and also just what do they do with Steve Clifford? I mean, my instinct is it could be a circumstance where I don't know his exact contract situation where they like kind of let him out. He's for two reasons. One, Clifford is more of a, you know, he's a wonderful floor raising coach and that's not what they need right now. And also because they're going to get a premium draft asset here. They're kind of moving into a different phase. Even if Clifford is a very good coach, you still might want somebody different who kind of sets the table for where this is going. And so there might be a circumstance where they kind of mutually part ways. It's possible. Uh, I just want to point out that the Mo Bamba sense is uh, is thriving over the last twenty two games. Uh, he's playing twenty minutes a night, eleven points, seven point six rebounds, one point seven blocks. He's making over a three per game. I- I'm enjoying the Mo Bamba experience. I- I- Look, it's probably not going to be a great pick at number six where they took him, but I- I'm enjoying the experience nonetheless. Yeah, I'm going to have fun watching. I'm going to try to watch more film on him in the offseason. It's been such a such a whirlwind yeah. right now, and the Magic have been so abysmal that I think watching watching some dedicated film will probably be better off. I've watched I've, I mean, I've watched the Magic, but I don't have I don't have an opinion yet. Yeah, uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves uh, have decided to win a lot of games here late and potentially push themselves out of that Golden State pick. So I, I think that uh, they're hoping that they land in the top four, obviously, to keep that pick. And then their decisions this summer get interesting because they theoretically have like a potential core. Like they have Carl Towns, Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and those guys haven't played together a ton. Like I would imagine that they want to see those guys. I also am a big Jaden McDaniels guy based off of what we've seen so far. Uh, His ability to knock down shots from the perimeter and be very disruptive defensively. 
has been really effective for them. Um, the Wolves also don't have cap space. I mean, that's yeah, the like, other... It's, the, the, the decision to functionally, I mean, there was other things involved, but to swap James Johnson for Ricky Rubio, that was largely a decision to, to punt on cap to spending power. Not even just cap space. They're so close they're so close to the tax that if the pick if they keep their pick, they would have to shed salary in order to, to duck under. Now there are ways that Minnesota can do that, but that is a real challenge for Garrison Rosas and their front office. They they already hired their coach, so they don't have to deal with that, which is going to be interesting. I've I've liked what Chris Finch has done so far, uh, and yeah, I think though, and it's weird that there are certain parallels to where the Wolves were last year, just because they had such a star cross snake bit season where they didn't get to see Russell Towns and Edwards together enough. So they're going to have to do some of that evaluation next year, but. The consequences of that aren't particularly dire because there wasn't any. They weren't. They didn't lose any flexibility. Like that. That was going to have to happen later anyway. Yeah, I mean, do you think there's a case for like trying to make a move on like one of Beasley or Russell? May like you could maybe make a case on that. Like the Ricky Rubio money. Like I, I don't think anyone's going to be wildly interested in that. Do you? So I, I think that you listen on Beasley. Yeah. Because. I my personal opinion is that a Beasley Russell Edwards backcourt like if you're saying those guys are gonna I don't think you can start all three of them and be a and be a good team especially if Towns doesn't get dramatically better on defense right and so if you are not going to start one of those three a I don't think it's a circumstance where you want you know it doesn't work as a three man rotation where you just play the other two when one's out like where we're, because Beasley I don't think Beasley and Edwards I don't think that isn't a good enough offense in and of itself. And it's so, definitely not a good enough defense. <laughs> and it's definitely not a good enough defense. So with Edwards playing better and having so much more ceiling to work with, like you, yeah. you, you, you don't, if you're going to move one, one guy, especially when you consider D'Angelo Russell's connection to Carl Anthony Towns, you, the guy, the guy to consider is, is Beasley. And there, I, there's a, a thing that I use kind of like uh, uh, for guiding certain things, which is like, the haunt factor, which is basically like, would moving this player haunt your franchise at some point in the future? And while I like what Beasley can bring to the table in the right circumstance, I don't think that's the case. Like, I don't think there's a like top 15 two guard in there if we're counting offense and defense. And so even if you get a little less value than, than he might be worth at some point, maybe he has a hot stretch in scoring and he does something, I don't think they're going to be just totally crushed that that they moved on from him and if that's the way it is and the player is superfluous you probably want to make a move yeah i agree with that beasley has two years left at 15 million i mean it's like not a disaster level deal necessarily um but if if you can move beasley let's say let's say another team is willing to take him on then not only do you get a trade exception, which could potentially be valuable, and maybe and presumably, hopefully, you get some value in the trade, but also you could use your mid level exception and get somebody who actually makes more sense for your team. Yeah, uh, the thing that this team does need to do is just find defenders, right? Uh, yeah, especially a three. Like yeah. it's, I mean, I like McDaniel's a lot too. Uh, I think of him more as a as a four, and you could go in some different directions. I also would love to see. Rosas add a kind of a lower and this could come in a couple ways like a lower minute defense first guard just to be in the rotation ideally somebody who's versatile defensively maybe somebody better than overall than former Timberwolf 
Chris Dunn, or at least who is healthier than Chris Dunn was this year. Yeah. But that idea of like, okay, this if we need somebody to put out some fires this person can put out some fires. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of what they hope for from Josh Okoge, but I'm not quite sure he's ready. Well, and I, I would want somebody yet. who's a little bit, who's a little bit more like who could do more on ball. Like I like Okoge, but I think that he's really good on Russell, defense, like really, really oh, good. He is, but, but I think you want somebody who has a, a little bit of, you want somebody like if Russell can't hang with somebody and Edwards, I think is going to be better as an, as an off ball defender than on ball one in terms of like navigating screens, guarding a point guard, let's say. And so I would love to have somebody in the rotation who can just slither and who can, who can manage all that type of stuff. And I, that would just, just not that you're going to play, you know, not, not the centerpiece of your team, but somebody who, when you're getting absolutely roasted and toasted that can handle that. The other like complicating factor here is this team just got sold and at what point does new ownership, including the Alex Rodriguez-led group here, uh, I believe it's Mark Laurie, is that right? I um, say it Lore, but I don't know if that's right. Mark Lore. Um, at what point do they start exerting influence? Like, is there a chance that they decide, we think Gerson Rosas isn't the guy? I think it would be too fast for that to happen this offseason. Wouldn't stun me if it happens at some point. But, yeah. And, and, we'll, and I, I think, generally speaking... I mean, there was there was some reporting that was out there, especially from our colleagues at the Athletic, about like kind of the the when control was going to pass over. But it would be very fast for it to be before the start of this offseason. Yeah, that, that's what it seems like to me. Uh, Toronto is up next. Tor- oh boy, Toronto's very interesting. Um, let's just start with the obvious one: sign Gary Trent, give him real money. Uh, Gary sure. Trent is awesome. He's really good. He's a good defender. He knocks down shots. Everything you're looking for from a two guard. Give Gary Trent real money. Um, find a center, right? Like, go out, find who your center of the future is going to be. No team was more snake bitten by not having a competent level center this year. Um, Chris Boucher held down the fort for a while, and Kem Birch late in the year has been, like, I, I guess, reasonable in terms of what he's been able to provide. But they're going to have to find someone. Right, they're they're just gonna have to find the guy that can actually hold down real minutes at the center position. This this team is an example of why all of these bigs that you and I often talk about end up being important in the regular season, even if their value wanes in the postseason. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a fair conclusion. But I want to throw a bigger yeah, rock I mean, in the pond. There's which a, there's, is, there's a much bigger rock in the pond here, <laughs> which is. The Toronto Raptors roster, it's jam-packed full of guys, appropriate considering they won a championship just under two years ago, full of guys that are very good in a role that is a little bit smaller and on a team that's better than the one that they have. And so one way to solve that is by adding somebody who moves above all of them in the pecking order. Somebody, you know, ideally like Kawhi Leonard, who can do all that. The challenge is that is very hard to do, whether we're talking about cap space or a trade. The Raptors are not the most asset-rich franchise right now. So the other question is whether it's Masai Ujiri or even if he's like kind of moving on and I would assume would be Webster that would take over. Do you consider, especially if Kyle Lowry chooses to go elsewhere, having extended conversations about one or a whole lot more of these guys? And so... All of them, I would say, are in the realm of reasonably paid. We'll see what Pascal Siakam is. He's the hardest. And like Van Vliet on a good team? Sure. By all means, Ananobi's deal, I think, looks excellent. I, I, I love OG Ananobi have since he was at, since he was at Indiana. And 
I'm not saying it's the right path to take because I don't know, but I think we should acknowledge the possibility because the problem is, and, and Messiah, I think, is is exactly the right person to make this decision should that be his evaluation, is this is exactly the type of roster that leads to a team being very being pretty good but not interesting. And yeah. some ownership groups are totally on board with that. Some ownership, like, if you could give Ted Leonsis this roster <laughs> and say, do it, he, he'd... he'd Pass go, he'd pass go and collect his $200, be, no hesitation. Other ownership groups might see it differently and might say, we love these guys, they were integral for a championship for us, but do we want to be the sixth seed, you know, if things, if you don't have the season from hell, do we want to be the sixth seed for another three years and kind of see where this goes? It's, and if we're that, if we're that good, it's going to be hard to get a lot better because you, you can't get good draft picks hard, you know, they're spending on those guys hard to get free agents. And I could see Ujiri convincing ownership that if he felt this way, and I don't know that he does, that it's better, you're better off to try it again and see where it can go. And you already have a really good coach, assuming Nick Nurse wants to stick around and everything like that. Um, But that is such a spectacularly hard decision to make. I don't know that I have the gall to do it. But it is it is one that they should consider. So I, I would keep this core together for another year. And the reason that I would, in the core, I mean, is, for me at least, Van Vliet, Siakam, Ananobi, and Gary Trent. Like, those are the four guys. And whatever Kyle Lowry wants to do, you know, make your make your calls on Kyle Lowry, right? Um, you know, I, I think they'd be ecstatic for him to stay and retire a Raptor. I think that they would be um, understanding if he wants to make a move. At the end of the day, um, we'll we'll see where it goes. Uh, I would keep that four player group together for one more year because I think that kind of as you said, that four player group is just begging for a star, and these deals come up like we've seen in the past with them. Particularly, people were talking they should blow it up. You know, Kyle Lowry and Demar Derozan can't win a title together. Yeah, then the Kawhi Leonard deal came up and they were able to go out and get Kawhi and win a title this core is pretty similar to that one in terms of like if you get the guy it becomes like a top three seed in the east again pretty quickly in my opinion so maybe a top four seed given how good Philly is that's one argument the other argument is they're not on as much of a ticking clock because all these guys are under contract for a while right and so the there is an opportunity cost just if that's the path you want to go down. It's better to kind of start it early rather than late just because it takes time and you're going right. to have to, you know, you, I, I don't know. But er, early I, would know, be next off season, not this off season, I think. Eh, early would be early would be this off season. On time might be next off season, but I don't know how good the 22 draft is. I also don't know what their stomach is for being like a bottom four team. Like that's probably what you want to be in order to really maximize that equity. Do they want to, you know, go the route that Oklahoma City did, for example? But I, I think that I think that you consider it. And the other huge domino here that affects it is general managers are talking all the time. Like that's just a, just a factor in this. We don't hear most of it, even with excellent reporters out there. But what are the offers that are like? I, I think that Masai and Webster talk to teams about Van Vliet, talk to teams about Siakam and Ananobi, and maybe a Gary Trent Jr. sign and trade, and if somebody blows you away, 
and the overall return is at the, you know like individually or collectively the overall return is at the level where it's like damn we're not going to do better than this like so somebody thinks you know somebody's giving us all nba return for pascal siakam right now even though yeah. we're not sure he's that guy but my inclination is that that thread and what you said end up running together that the offers aren't strong enough you keep it together for one more year and then you evaluate in the case of toronto too i just want to note uh I can't imagine there. There are very few spots I would want Cade Cunningham to land more than Toronto. Um, they have a seven and a half percent chance. I kind of hope that he ends up going there. I'm just going to oh, be I real. Would, about yeah, it. I mean, like, I've said I've said that New Orleans is my number one kind of like yep. rooting rooting interest with with Cade just because the possibilities there. But Toronto would be excellent. And if you're rooting for a good team, and especially a good team that might not be one if, if they don't get something like that, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, that would be really fun to me. Uh, get, give Toronto a I would also, there. like, Suggs would be really fun. I, from what I know about him, yeah. Suggs would be really fun there. Totally. Uh, yeah. Jalen Green would be really good. Um, Evan Mobley would obviously be enormous for them, given their issue oh, at the center wow. position. So, yeah, like, they have a 31.9% chance to move up in the top four. I like it when competently run, like good organizations get a reward, like when they have a down year and move up. Like, I think that it, you know, it's, it's just a good thing at the end of the day. Uh, I, I would very much like to see, um, very much like to see them move up on lottery night. Let's, uh, Let's move on and talk about Chicago. Chicago's in... Uh, I don't know what the fuck Chicago does at this point. They don't have their draft pick in all likelihood. Um, they, they, also don't, they also don't have spending power because yeah. part of the... An underrated part of the Vooch trade was taking on Al Farouk Uminu's $10.2 million player option, which he's going to pick up. And so that means really the only way that the front office can clear functional space, like space that really matters is by letting Larry Markkinen walk. And that could happen. Maybe you do it through a signing trade or something else. But it's a huge challenge. And part of why that's a huge challenge for Chicago is the most logical way to get Zach Levine to re-up, to, to commit long-term, was actually to use cap space to allow for a renegotiation extension. So just briefly, the way this works is you're allowed to, as the Sixers did with Robert Covington years ago, you're allowed to give a player a raise on their current contract and then move out from that, but you can only do that with cap space. And you can only go up. You can't go down. Right. And so theoretically, if the Bulls had $10 million in space, $8 million, you know, depending on wherever the numbers are, whatever Levine's comfortable with, they could functionally agree to a high-value extension right now if he's amenable to it and everything else. But you need to actually have that money, and you need to have Levine being willing to put his pen on the dotted line, which we don't know. We don't know either part of that right now and that got a lot harder when they made the Vooch trade and they also now you don't have don't have two first round picks so my inclination is that they I, I think Karnishevis is going to look for something big but I don't know what big is out there if Vooch Levine and probably Thaddeus Young aren't a part of it like I don't think Kobe White or Patrick Williams or Troy Brown or any of that like that doesn't really get you that doesn't fundamentally transform your team. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm pretty down on that move. <laughs> I, I don't well, I mean, here's the funny, the, the kind of the darkly funny thing about it is, in certain ways, the 
the, that trade turned Chicago's present and future kind of into what was Orlando's present and future. And in the sense that, and that's not just because of Vooch, it's because it also tied up their books, which is how, where Orlando was before that, where it's just like, well, how are they going to get better? Yeah, th- that's kind of, and they're on like two separate timelines still, too. Yep. Like, they have like the Kobe White and Patrick Williams timeline versus the like older guys on the roster, like Levine and Vucevic. And honestly, like Thaddeus Young has been fucking awesome this year. Oh, yeah. So, like, you know, great player, but what, what do we do here? Um, I, I, th- this is not what I would have done <laughs> if I was Chicago. Um, no. And I wrote that at the time. Like I said, I don't know that this is uh, the route that I would have gone if I was Chicago. Um, I understood it because I think that our tourists thought that, like, if we go out, we get Vucevic, we pair him with Levine, it's going to be, you know, a top five offense in the league, hopefully, and we can make it work around them. I, I, uh, <laughs> this is a, this is a bad move, I think. <laughs> like, this, it's challenging. This it's has challenging a chance to, to like, sure. go down as, like, one of the worst, like, moves we've seen in the last few years from a from a gm if this goes poorly and the the thought process behind it is also really challenging like vucevic has become a much better player but it's it's the idea of just like okay well where are you going with him as your second best player and remember if this team is bad next year they have to like have serious conversations about moving zach levine at the deadline they have to have serious conversations about moving zach levine like this offseason they shouldn't do it but like if you get well, blown they should away do it if he offer. says he won't sign. If he won't sign an extension, if yeah. he says like I don't want to be here, then you, I think you have to move. Him. Yeah, totally. Because so like you can't let him walk. I mean, that would be catastrophic for the franchise. Yeah, like this move really. I mean, like I think it was in part made because they want to try and convince Zach to resign. Like they go out and get like a really really good center, really good playmaker who can pair with him in pick and rolls, and, and like an all star. But it, well, and it condensed Vucevic- the timeline real quick. And what condensed the timeline, Vooch turns 31 before the start and around the start of next season. Yes. So it wasn't the right guy, I don't think. Well, I don't know. And, and that is always one of the most interesting questions. I mean, there are a bunch of two guards that are facing decision decision making factors. I mean, Victor Oladipo, you can think about all the different iterations that he's made where he like turned down extensions and everything else. Bradley Beal, where he's holding hands with the Washington Wizards as they go off a cliff together, though hope it looks that cliff is going to be in the playoffs this year, which is exciting. Um and Levine, we just don't know. And is it is it possible that Levine wants to stick around and that he's excited about what they're building and he just had the best season of his career? Yeah. Of course, absolutely. But he also is going to be absent in agreement, an unrestricted free agent at age 27, and potentially one of the most in-demand players. And there might actually be good, talented teams with well-run organizations that have cap space and are interested in him. Yeah. And so what does he tell them? And here's the other really important thing, if, I, if Zach Levine listens to this podcast and wants my advice from Bruin to Bruin, is your best chance of getting into a good situation, if that's what you want, is to tell the Bulls right away. Yep. Because the other avenue that that does is it opens up a trade. Yep. And then that team gets bird rights. That team maybe could do an extension, though extensions are really tricky. And yeah, sometimes it looks unseemly and it's kind of awkward after the team just gave up a mint to bring in a player alongside you. But Zach Levine doesn't owe that to Vooch or to the Bulls. He, he His job is to make the best decision for himself. And also, if that's what he truly wants... It's actually better for the Bulls for him to rip the Band-Aid off and tell him now yep. than to make that decision a year from now and just leave them with nothing. Yeah. This uh, 
this gets hairy very quickly for Chicago. Um, I mean, like they're, they're at the point where because like they might want to consider moving like Kobe White and Patrick Williams this summer if they're if they decide they are committed to Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic and wanting to go down this road. I mean, it's a it's a bad idea. Don't get me wrong; it's not something I would do. But I wouldn't have made the Vucevic deal, so like I, I don't. It's this is this is a difficult situation for Chicago. I wouldn't I wouldn't be stunned at all if Kobe White's in a different uniform next year. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's uh, let's go to New Orleans. The number one thing for me on New Orleans is please just get rid of Eric Bledsoe. <laughs> like, I had hopes that Bledsoe, the struggles he had in Milwaukee were just that he was he was in an awkward situation and it was you know like the the Bucks Budenholzer specifically didn't want him to be what I thought Bledsoe's you know the, the, they didn't want Eric Bledsoe to be Eric Bledsoe so he goes to New Orleans and they don't quite need that either but he's just awful. And like, it, it, it just brings down the vibes, man. Like, the, the vibes of the team are down because Eric Bledsoe was on that roster. Now, that said, New Orleans, another team, it's amazing how many of these bottom 10 we've talked about that don't have financial flexibility to, like, really improve. And maybe yeah. that changes in time depending on where, where everything goes for the Pels. But I don't think you give up a ton of assets to move him to like, cause it's not like it's really going to open up cap space unless they're going to let Lonzo and yeah, Josh no, Hart walk. No. So would I prefer it for my own happiness? If Eric Bledsoe was on a different team, you bet. <laughs> uh, but it's sort of similar to Kevin Love in Cleveland, incidentally, where you want them, you, for our own entertainment, you don't want them there, but you also would not advise them to give up anything material to make it happen. Well, there's, there's a key difference with Bledsoe. Like Bledsoe's deal is very easily stretchable. Because he only has four million guaranteed on twenty twenty two twenty three, which means yeah, so it would go so it would go basically twenty two million over five years if you wanted to. Right, but five million is a lot on your books for five years. It's a lot on your books, but with the cap likely to move up, it's not like a disaster if you really want to get it off the money. Like if you well, really, I mean, need the to get other the, the other thing you could do with with Bledsoe is you just if you can if you can bite it, you just take the you take that next year and then you if you want to stretch the last little bit, you can do that. Honestly, yeah, like maybe that's your move. Maybe that is the better move. You take the hit, you cut him, you take the eighteen million dollars and just move on. Like I, I think that that's a totally reasonable move because this team yeah, isn't competing for a title him. next year anyway. Yeah, exactly. And and I would love to see David Griffin add players that make sense around Point Zion. You know, more shooting, a defensive identity. Right. And on all that, but that is going to be a real challenge for them. And to me, the biggest domino is Lonzo. And yeah, I, I think you and I are both Lonzo fans for what it's worth. Like we, I, we both I am, really, I am like him as a player. Generally speaking. However, I do believe that when you have a burgeoning superstar in Zion Williamson, the calculus changes. And I think you, you want to try to, build the best team possible around him. And Alonzo could be a part of that. I'm not closing the door on it. But Zion is so special that I think you want to, you want to aim high in basically everything that you do. Yeah. And if Lonzo Ball is making $25 million a year, if he gets an offer in that range, I think you might just say, let's, let's pray to the basketball gods that somebody wants to play with Zion in 22 and see where we can go with it. Okay, so so here's the thing on Lonzo. We feel good about Lonzo being like a 37 to 39% three-point shooter on volume now, right? Like, we're at that point. 
I don't would say I feel good about it. I would say it's a reasonable outcome. He's he's taken 853 point attempts over the last two years and made them a 36 or 37.6 percent clip. Like, yeah. I mean, you you wish he did more with like kind of off the dribble. Totally. But, yeah. Like, I mean, it, as an as an off ball as an off ball shooter with reasonable efficiency. Sure, I'll go there. Like, roughly, you know, the last couple of years, part of why he's gotten more efficient. About 84% of his three-pointers are assisted now, as opposed to it was in the low 70s right. early in his career. Well, I'm, I'm wondering if Lonzo can be like their super Danny Green. Like, he's a better... Like, I think he's going to be a better player, a more well-rounded player than Danny Green. Uh, Danny Green is probably going to be a better defender, just in terms of, like, the ceiling so. that he hits defensively, because Danny Green is probably one of the 10 best defenders, uh, or probably one of the five best defenders on the wing of the last decade. I don't know that Lonzo is going to be one of the five best defenders of this coming decade uh, in the backcourt, right? But Lonzo is a good defender who's an unbelievable passer who really fits the up-tempo style that I think a team should be playing with Lonzo or with uh, Zion Williamson. Uh, Very unselfish player, you know, three to one assist to turnover ratio, has incredible feel for the game, makes lightning quick reads, and is now a shooter. Like everything kind of works in terms of a fit with Zion, a plus defender in the backcourt who can really pass and really shoot. Like to me, that's like a perfect role player for what you want around Zion Williamson. The other strong you, argument. Well, you just need to get of, like the guy next to Lonzo. I think more than any. Right, and that's right? and that's and and that's why if you're paying Ball twenty five million a year, roughly, it's going to be hard to do that. Just just with the the practical limitations of a team because they already have Ingram making over thirty, and then Zion's going to get paid. You know whether that is going to come through an extension in twenty two, assuming he's willing to take it. Uh, and if. Lonzo's making a lot of money, then you're you're pretty much committing that. Now, maybe they could theoretically move on from Ingram, something that I have pushed in the past. Even though Ingram's shooting makes them fit better, it's just what Ingram wants to do and what you want Zion to do come, come to conflict at certain points of time. But here's an interesting argument in favor of keeping Lonzo. The 2022 free agent class, and we don't even know where the Pelicans would fit in, in terms of quality, it's not great in terms of point guards that really fit with mm-hmm. what the Pelicans might be looking for. Now, maybe you could go with somebody a little bit bigger, but it's not even particularly great for that. Like, the older guys, probably a little bit too old, and we don't know if they're going to move. Like, Chris Paul might even sign a new deal with the Suns this year. And the best guys aren't going to be aren't going to be there, or they aren't going to be on the market for you because they're not going anywhere. Like, Shea and, and Trey Young and Luka and all that. Michael Porter, et cetera. Right? Yes, exactly. It seems so like then, Michael Porter's not going anywhere. Are you going to say... We would rather have $25 million, $30 million in cap space that we could use to get Marcus Smart, Terry Rozier, TJ Warren, not the same role, but maybe you'd think that he can that he can fit. Or, you know, they're just, those players don't exist. And it's, you know, part of that is just the structure of where when guys came into the league and how restricted free agency works and everything else. So it is a challenge for David Griffin to manage. It's basically like, what are what do we think we're giving up with this Lonzo contract and how movable like let's say the right player comes around like the other scenario is like hopefully you can get Lonzo at a deal that is good enough that you could theoretically move him if something better came along I don't know if that's true we'll have to see the the other thing that we have to consider for New Orleans in terms of why I would absolutely give Lonzo like I don't know if I'd give him 25 because I mean god that's like a 4 110 deal right um, if he starts at 25, I- I'd be happy to give him 20, I think. Um, 
is just the number of picks they have coming. I mean, they have 2027 first rounder from Milwaukee, 2025 first rounder from Milwaukee, 2024 and 2026 uh, pick swaps from Milwaukee. They have the Lakers 2024 first round pick. They have uh, a 2023 pick swap from the Lakers. Also that 2024 first rounder. I believe that like they have the option to extend it out a year. So like, yeah, it's it's either 2024 or 2025, depending on which pick they want. So like if Anthony Davis is really good that year, they and the Lakers are, you know, the three seed in the West or something like that in the post LeBron. And, and they can make that and they can make that decision after the lottery. Theoretically, yep. I don't I'm not, I don't think the Lakers are going to be a lottery team in 23, 24, but right. it's, it's possible. And so so they, they have all these picks forthcoming, though, to where if they wanted to move up, like say that they get. You know, so they have number nine this year, it looks like right now, right? Like number nine or number 10, let's say. Um, if they wanted to move up and get to like five or number four, I mean, there are very few teams that have more compelling packages to go and get like a star level player than New Orleans does. Like if Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs is there at number four, that's like the dude. Those are the two dudes that like you want to pair with this group, I think. It'd be really interesting. Like, I think that that's, that's a really interesting play for them, I think. The, the other thing that they need to decide on is, like, look, this defense was better late in the season, but I personally think that, like, that was a big, like, function of the schedule. Like, their schedule was not very good late in the season. Um, they need to figure out this team fit, and they need to figure out what to do defensively because Steven Adams is, like, holding this defense up like he's fucking Atlas right now, right? But Steven I don't know. Adams, I, th- I think I think the globe is rolling somewhere. I don't know where it would go if Atlas dropped it. But well, like Steve, Steven Adams, like they've been better defensively. Uh, like I sure. trust me. Like I was like they have not really made strides. I went back and like I really watched. Like they've gotten a little bit better defensively, and it's in large part because of Steven Adams. And like they've gone to more of a drop coverage scheme. Like look, like I've I've gone through this with Pelicans fans. Like I'm, I they've gotten better. I don't think they're a good defense yet though. Um, and if they lose Steven Adams, who doesn't really fit with their front court offensively, he actually like really hinders them, I think, offensively in terms of their front court. I, I, I don't know what you do with that front court. It's There's something off with it because I feel like there's not enough ball movement between Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, Steven Adams. It's a cluttered area on offense like it's just a weird it's a weird group to have together and i don't know what you do with it uh and jackson hayes has shown some strides late in the year and uh you know Nikhil alexander walker's not a front court piece i think Nikhil alexander walker is going to be a starting level player at some point um you know, might come off the bench if they decide to keep Lonzo, but um, I, I really like Nikhil. Well, and and think- Kyra's going to be really interesting, Kyra Lewis. Kyra Lewis is going to be really good. Um, they have a lot of really good young players already. Again, like you could maybe make a move where you trade Kyra Lewis to those future first-round picks in nine to get up to number three or number four, right? Um, like To me, that's almost a more interesting move. Um, but they need to figure out what to do with the front court because – not all of these pieces fit together on both sides of the floor um, to where it's competent right now. I wholeheartedly agree. Okay, last team up, Sacramento Kings. I've got two main things that the Kings have to like make a move on. And the first one is you have to make a decision on Rashawn Holmes and what you're going to do at the center position. Um, do, do you want to start there? Yeah, and a lot of that decision goes to Holmes personally because you know he has he has a lot of choice in the matter and and one of the real challenges for Sacramento is when you have a player who outperforms their contract 
but you sign them to a short contract, you actually have limited means to retain them. So they signed Holmes to a two-year deal. And what that means is they only have early bird rights. Early bird rights, it's the same story we had with Christian Wood, incidentally, where early bird rights gets them, I think it's roughly $10 million. I haven't done the full math for, for next season yet. And that might not be enough for Rashawn Holmes, or he might just want something different. He's an unrestricted free agent. And their defense wasn't amazing when he was on the floor, but it was a whole lot better. They were actually, the Kings were actually a slight, they had a slightly positive net rating this year when Holmes was on the floor. And let's just say it was worse when he was off and they would need to replace him. Now, Holmes is turning 28 and he's a lot older than than Halliburton in particular, but Halliburton and Fox. And it's not like he was the anchor of a good defense. He was just the anchor of the least terrible iteration of the Kings defense. Which the Kings so, defense this year, by the way, is maybe the worst defense I've ever seen in my life. Like, I think there was a, I think it was the Cavs two years ago might've been worse, but it's, it's, I mean, and in terms of raw numbers, I, I believe that as we're recording this, the Kings is the worst of all time, but yeah. offense has gotten way better over the last couple of years. Right. And, and so, yeah, so, so, but, but the interesting kind of challenge for the Kings with Holmes is that they can't really, the only way they could offer him more money than that would be if they cleared money off of their books. They could do that. You know, you could clear more cap space and then you sign Holmes with cap space as opposed to doing it with early bird rights should those be insufficient. But then you're probably sacrificing something. Maybe you're moving on from, from Bagley or something else. Um, but so that, and that's also part of why the DeLon Wright Corey Joseph trade was so interesting is that it kind of took away some of the optionality there. But really, for me, that decision comes down to Rashawn Holmes and what does he want out of his next thing? If I were Rashawn Holmes and he didn't want to like take a little bit less to you know follow the Montrez Harrell track to be a one year deal on a title contender, would be the Charlotte Hornets. Like I would rather be on the Hornets, play with Lamelo and a yeah. much better overall roster. Yeah, in the East, which is a little you know I, I, I would prefer that personally, but I don't know what Rashawn Holmes wants. Yeah. Um, weirdly, kind of have to make a call on Marvin Bagley this summer in the same vein that we talked about with Colin Sexton. Um, oh, I don't think it's weird at all. I mean, and especially if you keep Marvin Bagley, first of all, does Monty McNair actually want to like give him playing time next year? And you have to be open to the possibility of just losing him for nothing, whether that's that you decline to make him a qualifying offer or he gets you get an offer sheet and do that. Now, I don't think they're going to get something huge for Bagley right now. But there could be a team that that's interested in you know that that thinks back to what he the potential that Bagley had as a draft prospect and says, eh, we'll roll the dice on him." There's no way that a team like like do we think I'm trying to think of just like an exact team, right? Um, like could Houston give up like 22 or 24 for him just to like roll the dice? Probably not, right? Because you'd rather have the team control. I think you'd rather have the team control and Bagley. I mean, not only that, he's making 11 million next year. And right. I would argue that as I, you know, if I were to predict where it's going, I'd say he's a negative value on that number. I think he is, to be honest. Um, so you're really what you're getting in that case is the optionality of match rights. Basically that that if things go well, you can retain him unilaterally. Yeah, probably be at a high price if that's if that's what you're selling yourself on, or maybe you can squeeze the market enough that you can get him on a reasonable deal after that. But that's a dangerous game to play. Yeah, I. Uh... Well, and the other challenge with Bagley, I mean, this goes back to me not liking him particularly as a prospect back in the day, is 
we still don't know what I've, position he plays effectively. Yeah, is the I, like. I've phrased this before as the is the juice worth the squeeze? So Bagley abysmal defending at center. Like we've, that's part of one of the lineups that the Kings just absolutely went off a cliff was when Bagley. Yeah. I don't know if that held later in the year, but I know in the beginning of the year that was terrible. And so okay, so that means you probably don't if you're on a good team and you're starting him, you want him to start at power four. Okay, you can work with that. But then Bagley, I don't love his jump shot. I don't think that he's, you know, so dynamic as a role guy or anything like that you're going to necessarily like build the build the offense around Bagley plus point guard pick and roll or something like that. So then what is the game here? Is the game that you're going to, you know, that, that he's like an ancillary player who does a lot of other things well? Eh, not really. Um, so he kind of needs to take a step forward in a way that that he has not to this point. Yeah, I'm uh like I, I don't think they would get a first round pick for him. Is kind of where I'm I don't at. either. So like I think that you kind of just roll with it at this point. I think they're kind of stuck, and I think you don't extend them. And well, I think I think you make a move if a team gives you less than that, just because you if so. I, the other huge thing. Well, let, let's get let's get to the the other huge one for me because this is the the domino that affects Bagley. The Harrison, Harrison Barnes, Barnes move, yeah. Because if you're keeping Harrison Barnes on the team and you want to be competitive next season, Marvin Bagley is going to be marginalized because Barnes' best position is power forward. Bagley's best position is power forward. Arguably, Bagley's only position is power forward. And Bagley is not so good. And remember, he was not drafted by Monty McNair. He is not so essential to their foundation that you're going to coddle him anymore. And so if that's the case then you need to make a move with Bagley because having him start the season as your third big is not going to boost his value. And so well, that it, is... And, the- and it seems like given the way uh, Marvin Jr., not uh, Marvin Bagley's father, that is, uh, yes. has has discussed Marvin's career in the past, might, uh, might lead to some issues in the locker room if Marvin's coming off the bench again next year. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I, I think that you... you rip the bandaid off you move him now and you hope that you get the best thing you can for him and you see where it goes but that is especially true if monty mcnair wants to keep harrison barnes and compete there is another way that they could go which is move harrison barnes would have been easier to do at the deadline but it is still absolutely possible you know like because then they could have boston would have been a more viable theoretical trade partner that right um you do that and then you're you're going in a different direction. And then at that point, you don't really have a starting four. You are going to be younger. You're gonna you, you already have Fox on his contract. It's still a couple of years until Halliburton gets his next big deal. Heald's getting paid a bunch, but his contract's descending. Then having Bagley and giving him an opportunity isn't isn't as big a deal. And so, and so then it becomes palatable. Okay, weird Maybe. weird fake trade. Okay, Bagley f- and something small for Bamba. Take a flyer on Bamba if you are so, Sacramento. So the, t- the team that I think turns that down is Orlando. I think Orlando probably turns that down as well. But the idea would be like, okay, we can try and repair Marvin Bag or try and um, yeah, repair, not in the term of like rehab. Fix, but uh, I'm thinking repair him with Wendell Carter, like what happened oh, in college. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, oh, you meant repair P? Yeah, P? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know play him next to Wendell Carter again and see if like that unlocks something weird. I don't like the idea. Um, I'm just trying to like come up with weird solutions to this that like are off the beaten path. There's not a good solution to the Marvin Bagley problem for Sacramento. I don't think, Well, I think the other possibility is a team that's capped out that just wants 
to try something else. Like, I don't think the Wizards have the right matching salary, but, you know, just rolling the dice on a guy who has had talent and who, if you if things don't work, you can just walk away from them. That sounds like Tommy Shepard. Sounds yeah. like something you could do. Now, they, they, he's Bagley is more intriguing than Jerome Robinson, but he also might cost them a little bit more. Right. But I could see a team using that approach or even one of those. So I, I've said before they weren't in this because they like, I mean, OKC could theoretically do this of like teams that are going after restricted free agents with the idea that they could just roll their cap space over like OKC or San Antonio yeah. or somebody like that. Maybe at some point in the process, they're like, yeah, well, I mean, we might as well roll the dice on him as one of our roster spots. Now, Sacramento then probably doesn't get used to cap space if it's that late in the offseason. But, you know, maybe that has some utility for them. If you're Oklahoma City, would you be willing to do like Al Horford for Marvin Bagley and something else? Yes, because I think it's very unlikely that Horford is going to generate positive value in trade. And and one of the key limitations here is a, a heavily partially guaranteed year makes it very hard to do anything other than keep them or cut them. Like that's just, it's just, it forces a decision point. Some of the Kings actually know from the Corey Joseph situation and the Bulls with Thad Young and numerous others. And so I think that Horford makes so much money that I, the only way that OKC gets real value in a trade there is if they take on an even worse, longer contract. Like, let's say they went to the Cavs and said, Horford for love and you give us some assets and you get off of this, you get off of this albatross. But they could just do that deal with cap space anyway. Like, they don't need, they don't need something there. So yeah, that's the type of Horford deal that I would actually like to see OKC consider. But here's the other point there. If that's all you're getting... You might want to keep Al Horford paired with Shea Gilgis Alexander, put some real talent around them, and just see where he goes. So I would consider it, but also, meh. Yeah, like, and it's hard for Sacramento, too, unless they, like, move Harrison Barnes, like, into cap space somewhere, right? Like, say that they just get, like, two first-round picks for Harrison Barnes or something like that. Um, If they decide to move him, that is, and a team decides to, like, move him into cap space. Uh, well, then, like, then they could they could theoretically fold a Horford trade into that as a three teamer, right? They could do like Horford for Marvin Bagley and just like take the money or something. But again, like you might be right, like that might be a deal Oklahoma City turns. I don't think they'd turn it down, but like they might because it's not a bad idea to keep Hal Horford with Shea Gilgis Alexander and just continuing to let. And plus, if they get another really good guard and Jalen Suggs or something like that, like continuing to have a competent big guy who can run pick and rolls and everything, like that's super valuable. Yeah, I, I think that's totally sound. Um, Harrison Barnes' value, real quick before we go, like what do we what do we think he could return? A first or two, probably yeah. not a good one, but a first or two. Yeah, I, I would say a first plus like something valuable. Like if you're Phoenix to me, um, I would very willingly give up like two first round picks for him. Matching salary is hard for them, but I, I do like some of the conceptual fit. Yeah, like you could do something like what Jay Crowder and. What is Dario on? Is Dario on like a multi-year he's deal? About, he's eight, nine million a year. Yeah. So like you could do Dario, Jay Crowder, and two firsts for Harrison Barnes. I I mean, we'll see. <laughs> Jay Crowder has been so trick-or-treat over the last couple of years. I mean, he was so good in Miami and then so bad in Memphis. But I like I like Jay a lot. I think he's I, – I, I noticed that. I uh, do too. Nate, and I, did, Nate yeah. and I did the live show for their game against – Portland, and I thought there were some moments where he really helped. Yeah, no, I think he's more consistent. I think he's actually been really good for them. It's just Harrison Barnes is like an enormous upgrade on Jay Crowder, and that's fine. Um, Jay Crowder is a really good, effective, like 
25 minute a game guy who can be the fifth guy out there like in a real playoff series like don't take that lightly you know what i mean um those guys are harder to find than what you think but like i mean harrison barnes is just like an enormous upgrade that kind of really helps them in real tangible ways trying to think if there's anything else out there for harrison barnes i mean uh Oh, there will be. Teams will come out of the way. I mean, talented forwards are so hard to come by. Yeah, they really are, aren't they? Like, I'm, I mean, like, Miami would be interesting, too, to be honest. Sure. Like, Miami continues to, I don't even want to say spin the wheels, but, like, they have Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, and then, like, we don't know what their summer is going to look like. Um, you know, maybe, maybe signing Harrison Barnes, essentially, to a two-year, $39 million deal. They just like that idea. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Danny, uh do you have any other exciting things that you want to tell us about here? Well, I mean, Nate Duncan and I are back to doing the I, I, the NBA cast where it's more, you know, it's not through League Pass. We love doing the League Pass show, but there are no more League Pass games this year. So you can watch. We're going to do roughly three games a week during the playoffs. We don't know the exact ones. And really cool piece of tech. We're doing them with, with Hot Mike. And what Hot Mike does is you can sync. It syncs. I don't know how this tech works. I just know that it, it does. It's, it, it, is, it allows you to sync your tv screen with our audio even if you're not at the same timeline that we are and it does that by i think detecting audio levels which is crazy to me um and then dunked on is still dunked on and who knows maybe you will see some published writing work from me at some point in the near future we always love to see published writing work from danny larue danny i'm so glad you came on i'm so glad that we got to chat uh have you uh have you watched any good movies recently i feel like you've been so busy that you probably have not been able to i had already seen it but i rewatched den of thieves one night <laughs> and I, I i really enjoyed that movie what a ridiculous movie i've i've seen it twice i need to watch it again at some point soon like i haven't seen it probably in like a year and a half um the first time i don't I'm, know the next i don't know the next time we're going to see each other in person but part of me thinks that that's going to be the next time i watch hurricane heist oh hurricane heist what a fucking film um what a what a piece of cinema hurricane heist is um i watched what a uh, what else I, I watched wrath of man i went and saw that the, at the theaters with jason statham like the guy Ritchie movie that's coming out soon um it's already out here in australia i, I was very disappointed uh, i'm a big Aww. guy Ritchie and uh jason statham guy and it was it was just like not fun you know what i mean like it mm-hmm. is too serious we, we don't like serious guy richie jason statham movies we want just like stupid silly stuff uh this has been the game theory podcast please remember rate review subscribe do everything you can to support the show we'll be back next week uh i have a few really good guests lined up if uh things don't fall through but until next time we'll talk soon